Hey, welcome to a Zion People podcast. I am Keelan, an intern at Zion Church, and this is our latest message. The team here hope the message challenges you, inspires you, but most of all, builds your faith. Enjoy the message. Well, as I begin, I wonder, I wonder what the walls of opposition are in your life. I've been pondering that this week. What are the walls that prevent you from moving forward and possessing the promises of God. Well, today I want to encourage you, each one of you. Walls fall down when we partner with God. Walls fall down when we partner with God. You could agree like you believe it. I'm going to prove it to you, but it's true. Today's message, for those that like to write down a title at the top of their notebook, is Walls Fall Down. We're in the seventh and final week of our series we called Sounds of Heaven. And I've really enjoyed the variety and the journey, albeit a very different one, that we've gone through together as family. The key point, though, that I really want you to catch from that, and I said it again last week, is that We want you to understand that you are the sound of heaven. You are called to live resonating the sound of heaven as God has designed you. You're positioned by God. You're called by God. And you're prepared by God for that calling. And it's here in this region where you live, where God has planted you. But as we come to the close and I point us back to the, the real, um, I suppose, the explanation for why we've done a six weeks of silence and focus on, on um, a different expression of worship, as, as Jenny has shared, there is a conclusion to that, and it's found in Joshua chapter 6. So I'm going to get there. We've got to see walls fall down. It's It's not the design of God for you to have no opposition. It's the design of God for you to see the opposition, to confront it in faith and see Him bring the walls down in your life. But I wonder, what are the walls of opposition in your life? Just put yourself in the the sandals, if you will, of the, the, the army of Joshua who were called each morning to stand up, get a pep talk, and march in silence. The priests, the Levitical priests, who were normally jubilant in their blowing of their trumpets and the singing of praise, were told to be silent. And as they walked every morning, the circumference of the city of Jericho, at some point on that journey, they would have stood in the shadow of an imposing structure. An impenetrable wall. And they couldn't do a thing. I wonder what walls 
stand in front of you. Maybe you feel boxed in, like not outside the wall, but inside the wall. What's the shadow that's cast across you as you stand next to that wall? This time of year when you stand in the shadow, it's a little bit chilly still. You're out of the sun, out of the light. You know you're in the shadow. What shadow casts itself across you? There's a battle. There's confrontation. There's opposition. We stand with a wall in front of us. And I wonder what it is. Specifically this week, we've had situations with health, dramas and families, struggles against, you know, the season or the sickness. And it's real. Many of you will have had seasons like that in your life. You know what it's like to be holding a young baby that you can't do anything for, but it's just sick. Or to see someone you love lying in hospital and the doctors are scratching their head going, man, we just don't know. Financial challenges, uncertainty of what's around the corner of the wall we're walking. People stepping out in faith saying, God, I know you're going to provide for me. And all you can hear is crickets. Meaning nothing. Or you hold up the promise of God and you remind God of his promise and you declare again in faith what you know that you know that you know that he said. You hold it up to remind him, not that he's forgotten, because it makes you feel better to remind him. And the word of God shows us we should remind him. You can't see a way through into that promise. This is what, this is what the people of God were facing. This is what the people of God are facing. I wonder what the shadow is. How do we live when we stand in the shadow of the wall of opposition? Jenny just summed up what's been the journey for the music team. But it's cool for us to choose to go into a hiatus. I've never, ever been in a church that's done that. We chose to do it for six weeks in line with this story. It came directly out of Joshua chapter 6. Matt Redsman's church did it for 12 months, the story that she just referred to. And I'm going to point to that today. I'm going to point to our journey. Before I get into the text for today, I just feel to just release something prophetically that came out in our prayer time this week on Zoom. And uh, for those of you that want a reference to go back and study it, I'm reading from uh, Isaiah chapter 62. Let me proclaim it over you. Isaiah prays this, Because I love Zion, I will not keep still. Because my heart yearns for Jerusalem, I cannot remain silent. I will not stop praying for her until her righteousness shines like the dawn and her salvation blazes like a burning torch. The nations will see your righteousness. World leaders will be blinded by your glory and you will be given a new name by the Lord's own mouth. 
The Lord will hold you in His hand for all to see, a splendid crown in the hand of God. Never again will you be called the forsaken city or the desolate land. Your new name will be the city of God's delight and the bride of God. For the Lord delights in you and will claim you as His bride. Down verse 10. Go out through the gates, prepare the highway for my people to return. It's a season for the prodigals to come home. It has been a theme in the last three months. I was speaking with another pastor in another city this week, and we stirred each other in faith in the same way because he had just preached the same message from Luke 15. It's a season for the prodigals to come home. Smooth out the road. Pull out the boulders. Raise the flags for all the nations to see. The Lord has sent this message to every land. Tell the people of Zion, look, your Savior is coming. See, he brings his reward with him as he comes. They will be called holy people, the people redeemed by the Lord. And Jerusalem will be known as the desirable place and the city no longer forsaken. This is a prophetic promise that whilst we stand in the shadow of opposition, God says, I see you and I declare promises afresh on you today. Well, I'm praying, I've been praying this week and I'm praying that this morning is something that just puts a spark in your heart. Whether it's one of those verses or one of the ones to come, something ignites in you that says yes and amen to what God is doing in your life. Every single one of us, the Holy Spirit is wanting to enable uh, with a sense of momentum so that we cannot just stand still, but we can see walls of opposition fall down. Come on. Okay, amen. Well, let's get to the text of today, which is Joshua chapter 6. Joshua chapter 6 is, uh, as I said before, is where we got this idea of a six weeks of silence Finishing with a jubilant cry, and I, I want to read those instructions out from the beginning of Joshua chapter 6. I'm just going to read the first seven verses. Now, the, the gates of Jericho were tightly shut because the people of Jericho were afraid of the Israelites. No one was allowed to go out or in. The Lord said to Joshua, I have given you Jericho, its king, and all its strong warriors. You and your fighting men should march around the town once a day for six days. Seven priests will walk ahead of the ark, each carrying a ram's horn. On the seventh day, you are to march around the town seven times with the priests blowing the horns. When you hear the priests give one long blast on the ram's horn, have all the people shout as loud as they can. Then the walls of the town will collapse and the people can charge straight into the town. So Joshua called together the priests and said, Take up the ark of the Lord's covenant and assign seven priests to walk in front of it, each carrying a ram's horn. Then he gave orders to the people, March around the town, and the armed men will lead the way in front of the ark of the Lord. I just want to make some observations about this passage, and I really am hoping you find a spark in God's Word for your situation, for whatever it is you're journeying through 
let's look at some key observations from this passage, and then I'm just going to reflect on what that looks like or what I think it looks like for the journey of Zion. Verse number one, the gates of Jericho were tightly shut because the people were afraid of the Israelites. Now we know this because Rahab said it was. When the spies went into the Jericho, if you remember the story, and they hid in the house of Rahab, they, um, she hid them on the roof. It says in Joshua chapter 2, verse 9, I know the Lord has given you this land, she said. We're all afraid of you. Everyone in the land is living in terror. For we have heard how the Lord made a dry path for you through the Red Sea when you left Egypt. And we know what you did to Sihon and Og, the two Amorite kings of the east of the Jordan, whose people you completely destroyed. No wonder our hearts have melted in fear. No no wonder we don't have the courage to fight after hearing such things. For the Lord your God is the supreme God of the heavens above and the earth beneath. The enemy knows what God's up to. And he wants to resist but he can't resist against what God's doing. But we need to understand that. This is, I said this last week. We're not in a battle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. And there's a spiritual realm to our lives that we've got to at least have an understanding of um, and an awareness of so that we can walk through the season. Joshua chapter 6, verse 2. The Lord said to Joshua, I have given you Jericho, its king, and all its strong warriors. Full stop. God's really happy to let you know what he wants to do. He sets it out at the beginning. God is not some mystical, mysterious secret keeper. If we find God's word, it is enlightened to us and it speaks to us. This is not the first time God has said this, but it's always the case, I find. If we pause long enough to get into the Word and get onto our knees in prayer, God will speak to us. For those of you that are not sure what the season ahead looks like, this is the invitation for you to get into the Word and get onto your knees and ask God to speak to you. I'm going to deal with that today. Verse 3 to 5, I just love how specific God is. You, fighting men should do this. Seven priests are going to do this, and they're going to carry a ram's horn, which is like their musical instrument, their mobile musical instrument. And on the seventh day, actually, you're going to do it a bit different. But when you hear this, I want all the people to shout, and then the walls of town are going to collapse. It's like, it's like an action list. And if you read Joshua 6, you'll see it's repeated several times to make sure we understand God is very clear what we're supposed to do. Again, God is not mystical, he's not mysterious, he's not secret. He's telling us how to walk as his people. You look down at verse 6, I just want you to note Joshua's response. So he hears God speak, it's confirmed, uh, it's confirmed what God has already said, so okay, we agree with that. And Joshua calls people together and said, let's do it. I'm not quite sure where we lost this principle in living 
but it's a big difference between hearing what God says and doing it. The difference is obedience. And God's favor is on the other side of your obedience. God's favor is on the other side of my obedience. When God says, this is what I want you to do, that's not an opportunity for a debate. Or, a, well, did God really say? I mean, it's good to check. It's good to be under godly counsel and wisdom of others. But obedience is our part to play in the partnership with God's power. God didn't say, take your hammer or your ram's horn and whack it against the wall and watch it fall down. God said, march, give a jubilant cry, and you will see the walls fall down. But our partnership is our obedience. And finally, in verse 7, Joshua gave the orders to the people, march around the town. And I just wrote this down. It goes very well for everyone when people do what they're told. So what, what does it mean for Zion? I mean, what, what I'm hoping, and I suppose the way that I read these passages and, and journey through them myself is that I really want to know the truth in the story, but I want to know what the truth is that would build me and make me stronger today. So what are we taking away from this? And I really hope that you're listening with an ear to think, how do I apply this to my life and the journey that I'm on or the walls of opposition that I might be facing? What's happening with Zion at the moment and the, the, the family we call Zion? There's a spiritual season that we're in that is about contest, it's about opposition, it's about wrestling. It's not comfortable at all. Many, many, many people are going through some real stirring and some shaking and, and in some cases even tipping upside down. God is moving through this but there's opposition and a stirring that's going on. The enemy is active. He's aware of what God is going to do because God has already said it. The promise is about an outpouring of God's presence and a revival in Tiawamudu that is going to come through the united people of God. We agree with that 100%. I've shared with the ministers of Tiawamudu and we go, yes and amen. This is not something that just comes from me. So it's not about me, it's about us being part of something bigger than ourselves. And the devil gets wind of it and he goes, well, I'm just going to try and prevent a few things. And I'm going to stir some things up, I'm going to take some people out, I'm going to shift this and I'm going to move that, and I'm going to test that. We've just got to be understanding that. This is not a time to be cowering in a corner by yourself. And I said this last week, and I say it more to the people at home than here, is, you know, like, yes, be isolated for safety, but don't be isolated because you're being tested. The devil uses isolation as a weapon against us. And the best thing we can do in times of testing is be connected to brothers and sisters in Christ. It means, you know, um, having coffee with someone during the week and praying together, sharing scripture. It means being part of a connect group and studying God's word together and encouraging one another. It means going and visiting someone who's sick and laying on of hands and praying for God's healing power to be made real in their lives. It means coming together in corporate worship and lifting up the name of Jesus together and being strengthened together as we worship him together. God has been very clear in what he's declaring for Zion, that we would be part of something bigger. But I, was, I wrote this question down, and I don't really want, want to 
um, dive too deep into it today, but I, I, I give it to you as something to ponder. God has declared what his promises are for Zion people. I just wonder how connected you feel to that. And if you don't feel connected, I wonder how you could feel connected. You know, like there's, we're called to be part of something bigger than ourselves. And, and so I, I'm, I'm raising it as a question to stir some thinking. I don't have the answers to it today. But I want you to think, how could I feel connected to something bigger than myself? How do I be part of what God's doing in this town? God has not saved everybody to be islands that are not connected. He's called us to be a body, to be an army, to be unified, to be moving together. And so how we come together is that. And I'm, I'm, I'm saying it because I believe in faith that God wants to stir people to start to search for how they are connected. There's so many good things that are happening in this church and in this town, in the body of Christ, but we've got to be part of it. We've got to be plugged in and we've got to be connected. So I'm really just, I suppose, stirring you to feel like you might want to search for connection. Search for connection. And if you're not sure how that journey goes, find someone that you think is connected or, you know, you can't, you can't find connection without relationship. So relationship is a real key there. The instructions to walk seven, six, six days around the, the city in silence was, was interesting. And one of the things that we did over the past six weeks is we had a moment of silence on Sunday morning in our gatherings. And we asked someone to come and to share a devotion. Like, what, did, what, would have, what do you think Joshua would have said to the people on day four or day five to stir them as they marched off in silence? And Marge came and saw me last week after, after the morning gathering, and she says, well, it's all very well to say, what did Joshua say to the people? And she says, what did Joshua say to himself? What was it like for the leader? And I'm like, oh, that challenged me. So I thought about it this week. Thanks, Marge. Because not only was it a gutsy call to say, no, we're not doing worship. It was a faith moment. And I, I, I thought, how do I explain that? And the best picture I got was the story of Elijah on Mount Carmel. You remember the, the, the prophetic contest they had? Prophets of Baal versus Elijah. He thought he was the only one. And, and so he's like, well, let's make a sacrifice. And, and whichever sacrifice and offering that the fire of God falls on from heaven, that'll be the one that's the real prophet. And that'll be the proof of the real God. Do you remember that story? And so just fast forward to Elijah's moment and he, he makes the offering, puts the stones out and he puts the firewood on and he cuts up the, the, the animal and he, he lays it out on the sacrifice and then he says, oh, hang on, why don't you pour some water over it so it can't combust? This is drench it. Dig a trench around it and drench it in water because he's still saying, well, the fire that falls from heaven to consume the offering proves whose God is real. And, you know, he's pouring the water and he's pouring the water and he's pouring the water in front of all the people. How would you be feeling in that moment? Man, I hope God turns up. Did I hear right? Like, 
Was it one bucket of water or seven buckets of water? Was the fire going to come and like, like straight down, or is it going to come across, or is it going to come out of the ground? It's faith building. It's faith building. Some of you will know this. You bring a prophetic word for someone. You want to encourage them. You go across there and you say, hey, look, you know, I just really feel like God wants to encourage you today. And, da, 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 and you go out on a limb because you don't know. You, well, you, probably, you possibly don't know their situation. It's easy if you know them. I give you a word from the Lord because I know everything about you. That doesn't take faith. It takes a gift. It doesn't take faith. But to go and do that with someone you don't know, or for, to stand in front of a meeting of a couple hundred people and give a word of knowledge for healing, specifically about something in the left ear that's really causing a ringing and God wants to bring a release. And you have no idea if anyone's in the room. It's faith building. So this journey has been faith building for me. And faith building is always good. Hey? Eh? It's always good. And just before I uh, bring this to land... And then I'm going to invite the band back. But I just wanted to, I thought, what, what, do I, what do I want to reflect on that we wouldn't lose? Because we're about to give a long shout and watch wolves fall down. But I'm like, what, what, do, what do I not want to lose? In my reflection time, this is what I came up with. Seven things I don't want to lose. Number one, being completely dependent on God for his leading. Now, you might sit there and go, aren't you supposed to be like that all the time? And you are, but the truth is when you get in a rut, you rely on yourself. When you get into pattern, you get into tradition, you're like, oh, well, we've always done it this way, so we're going to do two songs and then notices, and then two songs, we'll preach the word of God, and then we'll have a cup of coffee. There's a risk with patterns that you become self-reliant. Now, God's into patterns. Just read the Bible. So I'm not saying we don't have patterns. I'm not saying there's not reasons we don't do things. But what I've loved about the freshness of the last six weeks is the complete dependence on God. Is this what you want to do in this moment? May we never lose that in our lives. May you find that in your life, on, not just on Sunday morning, Tuesday, when you're walking through town and God stirs you to do something different and drive down a different street or park your car in a different place or walk into a shop because he's got an encounter set up for you, may you never lose the moments. Number two, I've really loved engagement of different people on our Sunday morning gatherings. We've purposely gone out of our way to engage people. Now, you might be sitting there going, well, you didn't ask me. And I'm, I'm sorry, if you want to be part of something, then come and see us. But the body of Christ is designed to be active every part, not just the head. And, and, I, and I'm, I'm really challenging our team to think about how that looks and, and how we might engage people. You know, and it's not just about Sunday mornings. It's about finding a place to, for your gift to be active in God's purposes in Te Aumuru. Number three, I've loved a wider and therefore deeper experience of worship. Worship is not just limited to music. Worship is not just dependent on a band singing for you or leading you. Worship is a lifestyle. 
Worship can be expressed through creative means. Worship can be expressed, expressed through our posture. Worship can be expressed through um, how we just open ourselves up for God and be dependent on Him. One week we wrote psalms. Another week we had spontaneous singing with no music. Another week we had praying for one another and intercession. Another week we enjoyed food. I just love the expression that worship is a lifestyle. It's not just about a band. And may we never, ever lose that. Number four, I want everyone to realize that they must continue to take personal responsibility for their own lifestyle of worship. You are responsible for your lifestyle of worship, and you're actually required to worship out of the partnership that you have with God. It's not a one-way relationship, it's a two-way relationship. And each of us can express that in our own ways. You might not be musical. You might find worship with God something that you do walking in the bush or serving another person or writing your, your thoughts down. But please find a way to worship God as part of your lifestyle. Find your groove and find your expression. The next one is that we have experienced a wide variety of expressions and we chose just four just four for the past six weeks. Can you remember what those four parts of our gatherings were? Who can remember them? Testing now, aren't I? Silence was one of them, correct? Prayer was one of them. The Word was one of them. And worship was one of them. Worship, silence, prayer, and the Word. And they're just four expressions of our life together. But they're keys, as you're going to see in a second. Finally, uh, no, second to last, let us not lose the revelation of the importance of silence. We live in a very noisy world. And if you don't push the mute button from time to time, you will miss some of the moments God's prepared for you. Sometimes... I wonder if we surround ourselves with noise so we don't hear what God's saying. One of the most surreal experiences I've ever had in my life in the presence of God. And I've had some amazing experiences with lots of noise too. So, so let me just give you this experience of silence. Um, we visited the chapel of St. Francis of Assisi. And I might have told the story before, but you get up into the main modern church, lots of stained glass and beautiful ornate buildings, and like that's man, that's amazing. But then you go down to the older church, you go down the steps into where the tombs are, because you know the, the Church of Italy is all about tombs and honoring the dead, and that's a little bit creepy, but it's fascinating. But then I found the staircase to the chapel of St. Francis, and I went down a very narrow, steep set of stairs cut into the rock of the hill. And I wound down, and I came into a chapel that would have been six meters by three meters with wooden benches hundreds of years old. It's a solitary candle burning on the table at the front. And there's no talking. And this was the prayer chapel of St. Francis of Assisi. Now, like him or not, I experienced in that moment of silence as I sat on one of those hard wooden benches and I centered my attention on God, I had the most surreal experience of the presence of God personally. 
Sometimes it's good to pursue the silence. Turn off the noise. Shut yourself away and do yourself a favor. Let's not lose the revelation of the importance of silence. And finally, number seven, the word of God is always the best standard to measure our lives by. You could say I'm into that. A, d- a regular, deep relationship with the word of God every day. And don't rely on someone else for it. So if I could get the band to come back, I'm going to close, I'm going to give you some questions to ask yourself, and then we're going to celebrate. How do we grow stronger through the season is what I've been asking myself. The way we grow stronger is that we ask good questions. The way we grow stronger is we ask good questions. So here are three questions that I pose for you. Number one, am I clear on my personal promise and where God is wanting to reveal himself in my life in the season? Am I clear on that? Am I clear on my personal promise and where God wants to reveal himself? Question two I challenge you with is how can I see how I'm connected with the corporate promise of Zion? Can I see how I'm part of the promise of Zion? And finally, question number three, what are the walls of opposition that prevent me from moving forward and possessing my promises? Now, I believe as I wrote that question down, I just felt God say the four things we've been doing these past six weeks are four keys for people. How do you, how do you face your walls of opposition? You face them with worship as a lifestyle. You face them with moments of silence where you get connection with God. You face your walls with prayer. And we've done a variety of means of prayer and intercession over these past seven weeks, and we'll continue to do so. And finally, you face them with the word. It's day seven of the walk around Jericho. Day seven. And what I want us to do, whatever your circumstances are, whatever your context is, what you're facing, the wall of opposition, or how you're feeling, your emotions in this part of the journey, I want you to push back against the opposition with this song. We chose a song on purpose just because of the attitude and the sass that's in the song. So let's be jubilant with expectation as we stand and watch, God cause the walls to fall down. We do that? Amen. Let's do that. Hey, thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed our message and it inspired you. Stay connected and get amongst our family. Find us on Facebook, YouTube or our app. We are Zion people.